0: Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, Today we're going to be starting a three-week teaching series that I'm calling Essentials for Growth, and uh, over the next few weeks, I just want to talk about a few things that I think are are essential components uh, of what we need to do uh, in order to continue to grow spiritually during this season, and for many of you guys, this will be review information for you. You, You're already doing these things. Um, You already have... Uh, these as part of your life. These are part of your daily rhythm. But for some of you guys, you've never done this before. And so what I want to do uh, over this next couple of weeks is, is to encourage you and to challenge you to make these rhythms a part of your daily life. Again, these are things that I believe that are essential components for your growth uh, during this season. Um, these are going to be things we're going to talk about like Bible reading and Bible study communing with God daily in prayer building a community of people who are who are like-minded around Christ who are going to challenge you and to encourage you who are going to hold you accountable uh, we're going to talk about pursuing holiness just like we do uh, it seems like every week we're going to talk about guarding our minds guarding our time guarding our heart all of these things to help us grow because we know that we've been given a mission from King Jesus uh, and our mission is to make disciples that's what we read in Matthew chapter 28 verse 19 and 20 and just because the world has stopped our mission hasn't And so we know that there are people who still need to hear about Jesus. There are still people who need to be saved by Him. There are people who need to know about His love, His grace, His mercy, His truth. And likewise for us, we still need to be reminded of those things. We still need to grow in our knowledge of Christ. We still need to know him better. We still need his grace. We still need his peace, his truth, his love. So let's use this time wisely to accomplish the mission. Let's be diligent to grow in our personal intimacy with Christ. Let's grow in our knowledge of him and I want to encourage you to let your love for him shape the way that you live. And let's be bold with the hope of the gospel. Our world desperately needs hope. Now this is a verse that I continue to come back to in Hebrews chapter 10. It says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And I want to encourage you to cling tightly to Jesus. Set your hope on him, as the Apostle Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, resting the faithfulness of God. He's made promises to us. He's going to keep those promises. Hold fast to the hope that we have in Christ. Grow in your relationship with him during this time, but but also use this time as a a time to reach out to others. Invite them in, those who need the hope of Christ. This morning what I want to do is to talk about the first essential of growth, uh, and it's this that we must learn to feed ourselves. One of the things that this virus has taught me so far is how dependent I am on others to feed me, uh, both in a spiritual sense, but also in a physical sense. Uh, I depend on Kyoto to feed me. Uh, I get a chicken teriyaki with no onions, no mushrooms. I get them with extra vegetables, no rice, extra white sauce with a water please. That's my order when I go in. I count on them to be there for me. I count on them to give uh, to give me food, to, for me to be able to buy food. and. Uh, with this virus, I can't go in and sit down anymore. I can still go pick it up, but the point is that I'm having to learn how to cook on my own. Uh, it's not something that I'm great at, but it's something that I'm, I'm learning to to do. And in a similar way, I think uh, many of us tend to depend on others to feed us spiritually. So you may think like your pastors, we often look to our pastors to feed us on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. We count on our small groups to feed us. Uh, when we get together, and when we meet and we talk about God's Word, we count on uh, verses on, that we see on social media. We see uh, podcasts and, and sermons from people. We get those kind of what I would call like takeout sermons that we can consume uh, on our own convenience. And I think if we're honest, though, that many of us have grown so dependent on those things and so dependent upon other people to feed us that we've forgotten how to feed ourselves or maybe we never learned in the first place. And what I mean by that is that we've forgotten or we don't know how to study God's Word and to take those truths and to see those truths and apply them to our lives. We don't know how to do that for ourselves, intimately with God. And So what I want to do is to give us a refresher on what does it mean to do that? What does it mean to feed ourselves, and how do we go about doing that? So I want to first say this, um, that we know that the tool that God has given us for our sanctification, for making us holy, making us more like Christ, is His Word, is the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says this, that all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And I really love uh, that phrase, that it's God-breathed. And literally translated in Greek, it's theopneustos. It's God-breathed. And so we know that the God's Word is God-inspired. It's not something that we wrote, but it's something that He inspired us. And as as the biblical authors were prompted by God's Spirit that they wrote exactly what God had intended for them to write. And the other cool thing about the Bible is what we read in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. It says that the word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And it says this in verse 13, that no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. So the things that we read in the Bible are not just stories and principles of times long ago that don't have any significance, that don't have any power. We can't just put it aside like a novel. It's something that's living and active. It's something that's come directly from God to us. And when we study the Bible, it does five things. And I want to give a shout out to Pastor David here. Um, He's done a really, really great job of writing some curriculum. Uh, There's a study called Holy Habits, one of our core equipped courses here at Living Hope. Uh, And when we get those uh, back online, or when we get to be able to meet again, I would encourage you guys to sign up for Holy Habits. Um, it's a it's it's a personal spiritual disciplines class. It's going to teach you about some of these things. And some of the material uh, that I'm going to share with you this morning came from that. He also wrote uh, something that we're calling the Disciples Life. It's a it's a study. Uh, it's a it's a lifestyle that we as followers of Christ are living. And so uh, if there's it's a discipleship tool that our church has, and if it's something. That you've never been walked through before, but something you're you're desiring, uh, then I would love to talk to you about it. Any of our small group leaders or any of our college team, uh, college ministry staff would be happy to walk with you through those things. But I just want to say thank you to Pastor David for for getting all this this out here for us. Uh, but what the Bible does is it it works in five different ways. So the first thing is that it reveals our hearts. It kind of probes beneath the surface level of things, and it really gets down to, to our heart intentions, where our heart is really at on things. And this is often the scariest part about reading the Bible. And Many times people don't want to read the Bible because they're afraid of what it's going to tell them about themselves. But by God's grace, it also teaches us. And to sum up what God's Word teaches us, it teaches us everything that we need to know about life and about salvation. It teaches us about who God is and about His plans for the world. It teaches us about us that He made us, and that He loves us, but it also teaches us uh, that we're sinners, and that's what's gone wrong with the world. And because of our sin, we can't have a relationship with Him, but it also tells us the good news of the gospel, that Christ has come, that He has died in our place, and that we can have eternal life. We can have forgiveness of sins and eternal life by grace, through faith in Him alone. And it also tells us that He's coming back, and that's the hope that we have. God's Word reproves us. It shows us the areas of our hearts that aren't in line with uh, who Christ is and how we're supposed to live it corrects us it takes what we believe and it shapes what we believe it helps us to to stay away from error and false doctrine but to, to know god truly and then it also trains us it prepares us to have the knowledge that is necessary to have the character and the skill uh, that that god calls us to have as his disciples it helps us to live our lives in a way that honors him and serves his mission i once heard a pastor named hb charles say that the will of god is to use the Word of God to make the children of God look like the Son of God. And I'll say that again. That the will of God is to use the Word of God to make the children of God look like the Son of God. The goal of Bible reading is not just so that we have more Bible knowledge, but it's that we might, on the other side of spending time in God's Word, we might look more like Christ. That's why we read the Bible. Second thing I wanted to remind you of is that you have the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. Remember what Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says. In Him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in Him, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So when we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And what that means is that the same Spirit who seals our hearts is the same Spirit who worked in the hearts of the authors who wrote the Scripture. And in all of us, He's helping us to become more like Christ. Listen to what Jesus says about the work of the Holy Spirit. This is out of John chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. He says when the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority but whatever he hears he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. And so what we read here is that part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to guide us in the truth. He opens the the eyes of our hearts the spiritual eyes to be able to see to know and to discern uh, the, the truths that God has revealed in his scripture. I know that sometimes opening your Bible to read the To read the Bible is a a somewhat uh, daunting task. It can seem overwhelming at times if you don't know where to start or you don't have much knowledge. But I want to encourage you to to remind yourself that the Spirit of God dwells within you. And His job and what He's doing and He's working is to help you to be able to see and understand the truths of God's Word that He's already given to us and He's there to help us apply those to our lives so we might look more like Christ. So those are just two things that I want to just encourage you to remember I mean, what I want to do the rest of our time is to spend it looking at how we study the Bible. Um, there's lots of different approaches to this, and if you have an approach already, keep going with it. Do it faithfully. Work hard at it. But if you don't have something, or if maybe you're looking for something to maybe uh, to add to your study, or maybe you want to get more out of your time studying God's Word, then I would en- encourage you to maybe try this. This is called the REAP method. Now, this has been a, a method that's been very helpful in my life, and one that I wanted to share with you today in hopes that it would help uh, your life as well and so it's called the read method and each each of the letters stand for something so R stands for reading God's Word carefully, E stands for exploring God's Word truthfully, A stands for applying God's Word submissively and P stands for praying God's Word joyfully and within each of those sections there's some questions uh, that kind of go with it that might prompt you uh, to gain more understanding so I want to teach you this method and then I want to give you a couple of passages for you to try at home, so that way, when we get together in our groups on Wednesday, we can talk about what we're learning and what we're seeing, and then you guys can can sharpen each other as you're as you're seeking to follow Christ more faithfully by studying His Word. So the first thing is, are uh, reading God's Word carefully. And the first thing that we do any time we come to study God's Word is we pray. We pray for two reasons. One. Uh, because we're asking God to give us understanding. We know that the things that we're reading are spiritual in nature and we need God's help in discerning those things. Secondly, because it helps us to center our hearts. Uh, Anytime we pray, we're centering our heart, we're aligning our heart with God's will, and so I want to encourage you as you're beginning your time of study to pray, to ask God to give you um, the wisdom and the ability to, to see and to understand these things, but also to align your heart, to allow your heart to be able to to interact with God's Word um, submissively to be able to to recognize the things that are in, in your life that you maybe need to repent of but also to see the things in the ways that you can be encouraged And so uh, again once you start by praying then we're going to ask God to teach us from his word and then we get to pick a passage and I would encourage you uh, to, to have a reading plan um, you may already have a reading plan and if you do that's great keep on going with it if you don't have a reading plan you can join us in the one that we're doing with the college ministry So earlier this semester, we started by saying we wanted to read the entire New Testament and the Psalms. And each week, we've given you guys a few different passages of Scripture to be reading to keep up with. We're going to start posting those online, uh, and there's going to be some additional material that you'll get uh, with this video. And I want to encourage you to begin reading that if you don't have a reading plan. If you want to just pick a specific book of the Bible, pick a specific book and to begin reading it. It's really difficult sometimes to just open your Bible or not have a plan and just to try to pick and choose different things. I would encourage you, have a plan, work your plan, and, and in working your plan, you're going to be able to have a better understanding of that, that passage that you're reading as a whole. So pray, pick the passage, then read the passage, read it slowly, read it two or three times. if you need to, read it out loud, if you'd like. Read it and then ask this question. What is the setting or the context of this passage? Um, So you can think about when you're asking that question, think about the reporter's question. Who is writing this? Who's the author? To whom are they writing this to? What are they trying to say? What's the main point that they're trying to communicate? Why did the author write this? Where was the author when he was writing this? Where were the people that he was writing to? What was going on in their situation? And then ultimately, why was this person writing this thing? You can ask what type of writing it was. Is it law? Is it prophecy? Is it poetry? Is it the Gospels? Is it... uh, apocalyptic in nature? What is the, what's the nature, what's the type of writing that it is? Because that'll help you with your context. Ask yourself, how does this particular passage fit into the next larger context? So maybe to say, how does this one passage fit into the story that the the author is trying to tell with his book? And how does this book fit into the larger context of either New Testament or Old Testament? And ultimately, how does that fit into God's big story? Because we know that the Bible tells one story. So each of those Those smaller stories in these passages, they have a role in telling the story of God, of how He's saving the world, how He's, uh, they, they tell the story of God, how He is saving sinners and redeeming the world for His glory. I would encourage you too to look for key words and principles, things that are repeated, things that are emphasized. Often those are things that the Lord is really trying to teach us. And again, that's not an exhaustive list of questions, but that may be a good place for you to start. Um, And what we're doing with this first question, asking what the setting or the context is, is we're trying to build a framework. We're trying to build a framework for us to understand what God is teaching us in His Word. And So it's really, really, really important. And I I don't know if I can encourage you in this strongly enough to make sure that you do the hard work of rightly interpreting the context. Because if you understand the context wrongly, then we're not going to be able to apply the truth to our lives rightly. And so I want to encourage you, make sure that you have the right context in mind so that way you're not making any sort of errors in applying it to your life. So build the framework there. And once you've done that, then we can move on to the second part of this, which is E, exploring God's Word truthfully. And as we begin to explore God's Word truthfully, we can ask ourselves four questions. So the first question is this, what does this passage reveal about God? So what we know about God is that He is Father, Son, and Spirit, He has one God and three persons who are co-equal and co-eternal. But each of those persons have a distinct role and they have a distinct function. So ask, what am I learning? What is this passage teaching me about who God is? Is it teaching me about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit? Is it teaching me about the Godhead as a whole? What about His character? What about His purposes, His plans? What's He commanding me to do? What does He desire for my life? How does that passage stir gratitude? How does it stir awe? What are the affections that it's stirring in your heart towards God? Is it causing you to have a a reverent fear of God? Or is it causing you to praise Him or to have delight in Him? And then the last one you could ask is, is this challenging any of the beliefs that I have about God already? I think many of us may sometimes unintentionally have uh, wrong beliefs about who God is and the way that He works and the way He operates. And so maybe when we come to Scripture, we're confronted with truth from God's Word that shapes the way that we think about who God is and how He works, and we need to correct something in our own lives. The second question, uh, I'm sorry, the third question is, what does this passage reveal about humanity? So what does this passage teach us about who we are as human beings? What does it teach us about the God-given dignity that we have? What does it teach us about the sinfulness that we have? And you can ask questions about the brokenness of sin. You can ask questions about the consequences that we experience because of sin. You know, they could be individual consequences or they could be societal consequences. They could be emotional or they could be physical, spiritual. Ask yourself, what's the consequence of sin that I'm seeing in this passage? And then again, you can ask yourself, is there any belief about humanity that I need to correct? Maybe it's about the way I perceive myself. Or maybe it's about the way that I perceive others. The fourth question what does this passage reveal about the gospel of Christ? Uh, in Luke 24, there's a story about. Uh, two followers of Jesus, and they're walking on this road uh, to a village called Emmaus. And uh, what the passage tells us is that these these men are sad, and they're sad because they, they've had hope that Christ was the Messiah. And so uh, it's a really cool story. I would encourage you to read it if you'd like to. Uh, but Jesus shows up on this road, and he prevents the, those two followers be, from being able to see who he is, and he, he engages with them in a conversation. And Uh, He basically says, why are you guys so sad? And they said, have you not heard? Jesus, the one we thought was going to be the Messiah, he's been crucified, and now his body is gone. And he, he basically tells them this in verse 25. He said, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And catch this. This is in verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And the point that Jesus was making here was that all of these things were pointing to Him. All of the Old Testament points to Him. All of the New Testament points back to Him. The Bible is about Christ. And so when we read the Bible, it informs us about who He is. So you can ask questions like this. If you're reading the Old Testament, how does this passage point me forward to the life, the death, the incarnation, the resurrection of Christ? Could it be talking about any of those things? If you're reading the New Testament, how does... How does what I read in the New Testament fulfill these Old Testament prophecies? In light of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, how am I supposed to live? What's this passage teach me about God's grace? Is it telling me about the way that I need to work or is it telling me about His grace and His love and what He's done for me? You could ask a question about what's this teach me about the power of the gospel, the power of the gospel to save? What does it tell me about the sufficiency of the gospel to sustain me in my daily life? These are great questions to ask about What is this passage teaching us about the gospel of Christ? And then lastly in this section, question five. What does this passage reveal about our present life transformation or our future restoration promised in Christ? Uh, The gospel of Christ changes everything. You guys know that. If you've experienced the salvation of Christ by grace through faith in Him, then you know that your life has been completely changed and you wouldn't have it any other way. And the goal of that salvation is that we would become more like Christ. This is what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30, he says, "...and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose." And here's His purpose. "...for those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed into the image of His Son, so that in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He called. Those whom He called, He justified." And those whom He justified, He also glorified. So again, what we see here in this passage is that the goal of our salvation, just like the goal of reading the Bible, is that we would be more like Christ. That our thoughts, our desires, our actions, think about it, our head, our hearts, and our hands, that they would be more like Christ. God is restoring us into His image. That's the life transformation that we're talking about. And one day that's going to be complete when we see Christ face to face. And that's the the hope that we look forward to, to see Him face to face, and be with him forever. The other part of this is that God has promised to bring restoration. So if you know the story of the Bible, God created the world and then we have the fall where man has sinned and then God begins his plan of rescue where he is restoring the world and providing that salvation in Christ. But then at the very end, we know that he's coming back and he's going to come back and he's going to restore all things and he's going to put away sin and put away death and he's going to free the world from the curse of sin. And that's the restoration that we look forward to. That's the hope that we have when we read Revelation 21 and 22. And so those two truths, life transformation and restoration to come, those two truths are the the focus of this last question. So some questions for you to consider in this fifth question is how do I need to align my life to be more consistent with the truth that's in that particular passage? How do I need to change my life or how does the Spirit change my life so that I look more like Christ. And then how does that life change impact me personally? How does it impact me as an individual? How does it impact my family? How does it impact my, my house that I'm living in with my friends? How does it impact my workplace? How does it impact my school, my community, my church? All of those things. How does this have an impact on the world? And then the last part of this is, what aspects of God's promised restoration of heaven and earth are described here? So how does the, how does the hope of a restored earth and a stored, how does the hope of a restored new heaven and new earth affect the way that I'm living my life today? And, and I would encourage you one more thing um, as you're exploring God's Word truthfully to make sure that you understand what the meaning of the passage is. Um, I've heard people say that what is main is what is plain. That's, there's only one meaning for a passage that you're reading. And I think that that's really important for us to know. There's only one meaning. There's one truth in that passage. There are many ways that we can apply those truths, but there is one truth in the passage. And so I would encourage you to avoid asking questions like, what does this passage mean to me? It's not necessarily about what it means to you. It's what the passage means. God has given us His truth. We can ask the question about, how do I apply this truth to me? But What the passage means to me should be the exact same as what the passage means to you. There's one truth. We make sure that we get that one truth right and then we do the work of applying that word to our lives submissively. And that's the third part of this. That's the A. So apply God's word submissively. And I want to encourage you again to remember that Bible study is more than just Bible knowledge. We're not just studying the Bible so that we have more knowledge in our heads. To be honest, I think many of us have more knowledge than what's necessary. What we're really trying to get at is we want to live these truths. We don't want the, the things that we're reading in the Bible just to be known, but we want them to be known, and then we want them to shape the way that we feel and to shape the way that we, that we process things, but then also to, to push us to live that out with our lives obediently. To know Jesus is to love Jesus, and to love Jesus is to obey Jesus. You guys have heard that a lot. Don't settle for just knowing Jesus. Allow what you know about Him to stir those affections, and then allow that love for Him to flow out of you in obedience to His mission, by caring for the world, by making disciples, by loving your neighbors, by loving Him. And a simple question to ask yourself when applying a passage is a question like this, How does this passage shape my life as a disciple? If you remember what we talked about at the beginning with God's Word and it does five things, these are the same five things that we're asking ourselves now. What does this passage reveal about me? What does this teach me? What does this passage do to rebuke me? How does this passage correct me and what does this passage train me to do? And then the last question that goes with that is, who can I share this with? Again, we know that our mission is to make disciples. Uh, The buck doesn't stop with us. It shouldn't just come to us and then rest with us, but it should come as it comes to us. It flows from us to other people. God's word pours into our lives and then we pour into other people's lives by showing them God's word. So I want to encourage you to make sure that what you're learning in God's word, you're sharing with each other. Uh, that's what we see in Proverbs 27, 17, about how we sharpen one, one another. We're, we're sharing the truth of God's Word with each other. We're encouraging one another. We're challenging each other, and we're holding each other accountable. And after you've read God's Word carefully, you've explored God's Word truthfully, and you've applied God's Word submissively, then you can move on to the last part, which is um, to pee, to pray God's Word joyfully. Prayer is the way that we respond to God based on what He's taught us in His Word. And you could format your prayer something like this. You know, Praise God for who He is. Uh, he is worthy of all of our praise. He is worthy of any ounce of adoration that we have. And so just simply praise Him for being who He is. Praise Him for giving us His word, for allowing us to have a relationship with Him. And then move on to thanks. You can thank Him for what He's done, for what He's taught you. You can thank Him for how He's shaping you to be more like Christ. And then you can ask Him. Ask Him to continue to do that work. Ask Him to, to make you more like Christ. Ask Him to help you see those areas in your heart and those areas in your beliefs that you need to change. Ask Him to give you those opportunities for you to be able to share the truth that you're learning with other people. And again, um, none of this is gospel. This is not a, the only way that you can study the Bible. This is just a way that I have found to be very helpful in my own personal life, and I wanted to share with you in hopes that it might serve you well too. But I can't stress the importance enough of feeding yourselves from God's Word Yes, utilize those tools that we have. You know, thank God for the technology that allows us to even be able to communicate like this. You, know, you can watch your favorite pastor. You can listen to messages and podcasts. And we can share scripture uh, over social media and things. But don't let that be your only source of, of truth from God's word. Learn how to feed yourself from God's word. Don't depend on those things. Use those as supplements in order to, to help you to continue to grow. If you're watching with us this morning during the Zoom meeting, I want to encourage you to read Psalm chapter 46. That's the one uh, that we're going to study this morning and, and this afternoon. If you would like to uh, to use the six questions and the read method to study today, then I would encourage you to do Psalm 46. Um, over the next two days, I want to count and I want to challenge you to read John chapter 11, verse 1 through 44. That's the story of of Jesus and Lazarus. And then I would also encourage you to read Exodus chapter 12. Verses one through twenty-eight. That's the story of the Passover, and I want to encourage you guys and challenge you to make sure that you read those. So that way, when we get together with our groups on Wednesday, we can talk about what we're learning. We can talk about, you know, some maybe some good questions that we asked, or maybe some things that we saw, and we can mutually sharpen one another. One of the things that our college ministry team has been talking about over the last couple of days, and we've been thinking about and processing, is just Uh, how much we miss gathering with you guys. We miss seeing you in person. We miss meeting as a church family, and we miss meeting as a college ministry. Um, And and I don't know if you're in that same boat or not, but I just want to encourage, if you are in that spot, uh, to know that that's that's good. That's okay. It's okay for you to miss that sense of face-to-face community. It's okay for you to miss being a part of the church. What that tells you is that you love this place, and you love the people that are here, and even though we can't be together, there's still, a, there's still a desire in your heart to gather with the body of Christ. And, and if that's where you are, then, then that is, that's the perfect place to be. And, and I want to encourage you, too, just to know that that's okay. To know that it's okay to, to long for those things, to long to be with people. Now, but also, it, it creates a longing in us for that in the future. And there's a desire for us to come together. There's a desire for us to spend time with one another And in this season when we can't meet face-to-face, that's even a bigger reason for why we need a sense of community. And that's what we're gonna talk about next week is even though we can't be together, how can we still build a community online of of ways that we can encourage each other and we can still be a part of each other's lives even when we're not face-to-face. And so we'll be talking about that some more next week. I hope that you'll come back uh, and check in with us again. Uh, We love you guys. We're praying for you. We miss you. Uh, And Lord willing, we hope to see you pretty soon.